Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 51 of Maximize Your Influence. Steve Olson here. I have Kurt Mortensen here with me as well. And we have a guest interview today. Look at us. We're moving on up. We have a, a new website that by the time you hear this podcast, we'll probably have the Latin off of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought we were going Latin. We wanted to, we don't have much in the Latin area, although I don't think anybody speaks latin <laughs> no nobody speaks it anymore well, doctors do we'll get more doctors right that's yeah. a credibility <laughs> yeah yeah it's <laughs> i think they know a few words and lawyers they and you know how much we love lawyers so yeah, we're trying to reach out to them so we'll just crank it up a little bit yeah yeah it's when you get a website designed everybody i don't know why it is kurt maybe you can educate me on this the web designer in the areas where you need to plug the text in they always put all this latin gibberish and so, I actually do know the answer to that because my undergraduate was in advertising and I'd worked for some advertising agencies and it's it's just filler text. They always cut and paste Latin to hold the spot, to hold the space, to see what it'll look like because they don't have the copy yet. And I don't know why it started with Latin or if it was me, I'd start off with wingdings, right? I think that's <laughs> yeah. the better font. But it's just a tradition with advertisers and those who wrote a copy just to use it to fill up space and they just... Maybe just because nobody knows it, it doesn't really mean much yeah. and they can't offend anybody. Yeah, so if it's so nobody knows it is, so they can't read it as copy because it doesn't exist yet. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, we received a few comments from listeners out there about, hey, why, your new website looks great, but what's with the Latin? <laughs> um, it's a work in progress. We've never claimed to be pro web designers here. It is definitely amateur hour when it comes to us getting a website up and running. But thank you for listening to the podcast and not punishing us due to our... A lack of web proficiency. You're, so. you're doing it all wrong. It was a test to see if anybody would contact us. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. Can you edit out my disclaimer there? It was oh, just yeah, a test. We'll, we'll, we'll fix that. We're totally on top of everything all the time. You just say, well, it's just a test, and you yeah. passed. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> congratulations. All right, good. Here's your prize. <laughs> well, we're working on that, and as always, feel free to send us your feedback, your comments, questions to maximizeyourinfluence at gmail.com. And... Follow us on iTunes, or I don't know if you follow us, you subscribe to us on iTunes and on Stitcher Radio, on Windows, or you just go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com and you scroll down there, you can see the two latest podcasts and click a little button that takes you to all the archived ones. But we're going to do a short intro to the show here today because we have that guest interview. So we're going to go here shortly to Maureen Simon, who is a gender influence expert. She's going to educate us on the differences between male and female brains and and what you should take into account when you're trying to persuade females, especially, is what the interview focuses on. But, uh, Kurt, I understand before we do that, there's an article. It's not so geeky. It's more funny than it is geeky. There, there's a company in Chicago that, if you're like me, when you go to the bathroom and you sit there looking at your phone for 10 minutes, you probably don't want to work for this company. Is that right? <laughs> it is. This is going to tone down my geekiness a little bit. This is from CNN.com. And a company out of Chicago, and I'll name names because it's in the news, Chicago's Water Saver Faucet Company. And <laughs> they do manufacturing, and they were getting tired of long bathroom breaks, and they were warning employees that they had to be on the clock. And so what they did is that if you spent more than six minutes a day in the bathroom, 
you got in trouble. Basically, the Human Resources Department described uh, the excessive use of bathrooms as more than 60 minutes and 10 working days. So six minutes a day is all you get, and you do the math, you get in trouble. And can you believe this? They were using swipe cards, and for some reason, I don't know why, but the employees were getting upset. Oh, that's <laughs> that that's crazy. Keep, keeping track of their ability to go to the bathroom. So to recoup their lost hours, what they would do is if you didn't go below that, you got $20 a month with that dollar a day. And if you didn't comply, you were terminated. That is a human resource manager with too much time on their hands. That is ridiculous. Uh, you got to have the bathroom time. I don't know if it was being abused, if they were playing poker in the bathroom or what was going on. But obviously, this solution, which might have short-term compliance, is going to cause us long-term resentment, rebellion. I would hate to be the boss. I would hide my coffee. I would lock my door. I wouldn't leave any food in the refrigerator because you know things are going to happen. Yeah, that one's not free. I mean, I know you're punching into work, punching the clock. But can you imagine swiping a card <laughs> and literally being on the clock while you're on the can? That would be just horrific. No, it's horrific. It's embarrassing. It's like, really? Are we children? But again, I don't know the whole story, but for those of you who are <laughs> swiping cards to go to the bathroom, count your blessings. Things are getting strange out there in the workplace. It could be worse. You know, at home when things are nuts and the kids are crazy, I've been known to retreat to the bathroom with my <laughs> iPad and I, my wife figured it out the other day. She knows what I'm up to. Uh, yeah. It's your little therapy, your your throne therapy, I guess we'll call it. <laughs> well, you're in the can. You would think that nobody can bug you, but the family's figured out, no, no, he's not doing anything in there. He's uh, yeah. looking at his iPad, reading ESPN.com. And children don't respect a shut door. <laughs> they or certainly even a locked door. They even certainly when my don't. kids were really young, I'd be doing a webinar, I'd lock the door, don't bother me, and they're all pounding on the door. <laughs> Dad, the door's locked. Open <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying to do a recording, so yeah, there's no respect for doors with kids. No, and I do my best to make them regret it if they open the door, but it's just, there's no shame anymore. <laughs> That's right, no more secrets. Interpret that how you will. We're going to go, we're going to move on from the the article moment here. Kurt, can you cue up that ninja? All right, ninja, bring it on. There it is. Now, if you actually have to work for a living you're not going to like this ninja. You're going to be pretty jealous, all right? Nobody knows who this lady is. She has a YouTube handle under the name of Disney Collector BR. Uh, she is a, I'll read from the article, an unidentified woman who's racked up more than 2.4 billion views on her YouTube channel with videos about toys, many from films. More amazing, her audience is comprised mostly of toddlers who apparently can't get enough. Thanks to ads, this transmits into seven figures annually for Disney Collector BR, according to one estimate. It's amazing. So what, and, and I'm not quoting the article anymore here, but this lady basically takes unwrapped Disney toys, puts them in front of the camera. All you see is the toy and her hands, and she unwraps them and makes comments about how great this toy is, and look at this cute thing, and look at that ni nice feature, and it makes the kids go bonkers. And so you've, of course, got all these people on YouTube uh, running the ads because they know there are all these kids watching these toys. And this lady's making seven figures a year unwrapping Disney toys on a YouTube channel. So if you had to go sell insurance today or sell real estate 
or manage an office, just know that this lady makes that much money doing that ridiculous of an activity. Feel better about your day. Yeah. She's anonymous. Nobody knows who she is. That's amazing. I know. She's a persuasion ninja. It's crazy. It's funny. I've often thought that a lot of times the more ridiculous and the more stupid an idea seems and the more specific of a niche it has, the more money somebody makes. I mean, you look at this, like little kids, Disney toys, and she just starts doing it. And it's crazy. You got to wonder what was going on in her head when she decided to start doing this. What did she think she was going to accomplish? And then all of a sudden these checks are showing up. And this is nuts. The strange thing is she probably knew she'd be successful and make a lot of money. And she did it. And we're like, okay, (laughs) she did it. Congratulations. Yep. Yep. I mean, I don't know. Some people might be offended at this, but they're calling it toy porn, right? These kids can't get enough. (laughs) Click, click, click. Toy crack, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, toy porn, toy crack. Disney is one of those advertisers. You know they're putting in big money because just one click away, the kids could get the toy. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. So there you go. That's our article. That's our ninja. Let's cut to our interview with Maureen Simon. And Kurt, you were the one that did this interview with Maureen. Anything you want to let us know before we cut to the interview? Yeah, it was an incredible interview, great insights on the differences between persuading men and women and the differences in the brain. She's a great friend, great interview. You want to take some great notes here. You're really going to enjoy it. Great, and I understand it's not our typical audio, which it never is with a guest. That's always hard, but we did the best we could. Let's cut to the interview with Maureen Simon. So today we have a special guest. Her name is Maureen Simon. Let me introduce her. We're going to do a little interview today as we talk about some things that will really open your eyes. So let me introduce her. Maureen's a personal consultant to women in business and a founder of the Essential Feminine Company. Maureen's experience includes more than 25 years of successfully mentoring and guiding women leaders from around the world to create successful lives and businesses that reflect their authentic values. And she's also the author of Awakening the Essential Feminine, Claiming Your Influential Power. Marine's clients consist of a wide range of businesses, including Fortune 100 corporations, international entertainment and media industries, government, and creative arts. Her work's been featured in Vogue, Marie Claire's Self and Women, and Home, as well as, as Good Housekeeping in the Financial Times. She is based in San Francisco and London, England. Maureen, welcome. It's our pleasure to have you do our podcast. How are you doing today? I am great, Kurt. I'm absolutely great. I always love doing things with you because you have such a spirit towards life and so much talent and uh, (laughs) I'm happy to be here. I'm always happy. We've done some fun things in the past on earning what you're worth and some other things that have been just great fun that um, it's just great to be back with you. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, we have some fun on here and uh, just kind of figure out different ways to influence and help people. We usually offend people every now and then, so that's okay. They're used to it. Let me ask you, uh, how's... uh, your summer been going? What's new? What's different? What can you tell us? Well, the summer's been good because I made a decision that I'm going to have a summer. And um, for so many different years, uh, I grew up in the East Coast, in the East Coast in New York. And summer was this time where you'd go off to the beach. And I think you have some of that going on in your part of the world with your family as well. I, I know that's a priority. But, you know, you kind of go off and you, and you go into the mountains and you sit at a lake and you find a beach and you have a picnic and you have an ice cream cone and the nights are quiet and the stars are there and there's crickets and, and there's sometimes even lightning bugs. So that magical part of summer, I have really slowed down enough to incorporate into my life. 
again. And, and I'm finding that the more that we pay attention to how valuable life is and the more we prioritize slowing down, the better life is. And you know what else I learned this summer? I, I, it's very interesting, Kurt. I don't know if you've come across this one, but I don't think you have to work as hard as you think to do, <laughs> to do really well. Because I, I, I found I'm simplifying my formula and I'm working less and happier. But also doing some some work that I think is really needed in the world. So there's a balance I'm striking. So the summer's been a good summer in that those have been my two highlights. I like that, working less and making more. And I do agree, getting back to nature, there's something therapeutic about that, whether it's on a lake or in nature or just sitting or contemplating. Not only is it therapeutic mentally, but I think, too, when we get back to the workplace, we're thinking clear, we have more energy, we're on task. I think there's nothing worse for work productivity than working 80-hour work weeks for four or five months in a row. I think that'll just suck the life out of you. Well, it's robotic because we are meant to still our minds and to gain a little bit of time in contemplation because it's that contrast of the fast with the stillness that gives us information. Creativity's born there. I mean, here I sit in the middle of Silicon Valley and it's in the more creative play areas that people do their best work. I mean, look at Google. I was down there recently on a project, and there's a playground. I mean, it's very clear that we are creatures of the nature of fun. And if we drive it too hard and too fast, we lose that inner listening, and then we become, like you just said, robotic. Yeah, it's interesting. Those highly creative industries like Google and, and software, a lot of those, they do tend to play more and have different things that people do to just get back on track. I like that. So, And that's where innovation's born. Good information. Everyone take good notes on that. Great pleasure to have Maureen with us. And our topic today is kind of, of course, it's influence. It's maximize your influence. But we're looking at different styles and approaches that, I don't know if you knew this. I don't know if we need a drum or not. But men and women are a little bit different. I don't know if anybody knew that or not. But we want to talk about how men and women differ in the world of influence and persuasion. No right or wrong, just different styles. Because remember, a lot of times our default setting is we want to persuade and influence how we like to be persuaded, and that's wrong. We need to learn to adapt, whether it's a gender, whether it's a culture, whether it's a personality style. To become really influential, you need to learn to adapt to the person, to the situation, to the group, to become influential. So what do you say to that? Are we different? Are we the same? Are we more different than we think? Are we more similar than we think? <laughs> this is like what I spent two years of my life doing, <laughs> writing the book. Because the book, Awakening the Essential Feminine, Claiming Your Influential Power, for me was a journey through what the feminine, I'm going to describe that in a minute, what the feminine naturally holds, that the world is missing at the table where decisions are being made. So in order to even begin to think about talking about that, I couldn't just work subjectively with what clients were showing me in their leadership roles as women, I felt I needed to dig in a little deeper and take a look. And what I, what I found out is interesting is that it's not so much women that we're really talking about. It's the feminine side of people. And if you look at it, the way this book's been written and the way I now really see it clearly is that each person, you, Kurt, have a masculine and a feminine side. And because of the way that you are socialized... You were told you're a boy, you're a man, and this is the role in our society that you play. But when we look at the way that generally our culture looks at um, men and women, uh, men are brought up in our culture 
to have a strong masculine set of attributes, and women are brought up to have a strong uh, grouping of feminine attributes. And it doesn't mean that they don't cross over. And we've seen adaption in companies where women will put their high heels on, pull the trousers up, and climb the ladder and knock everyone down around them, which is not generally a feminine attribute or a way of doing things. But we've seen adaption. But generally, when, when we think about it, we know that men uh, in our socialized world are destined to do things a certain way, and women are, are destined to do things uh, another way. So what I, what I want to put on the table here is that we are both masculine and feminine. And what what I'm looking at in the work I've done is that women in our cultures have been predisposed to do things a certain way based on socialization and biology, hormonal brain biology. So if you get into the female brain, and Brizzledine from San Francisco did a lot of work on this fabulous book, The Female Brain. Many others have come since. We start to see that the female brain is made up differently. So then, yeah, what you're right. Wouldn't we have to address things differently? So the stake I put in the ground is men and women – have masculine and feminine attributes. Women are predisposed to lead, teach the feminine attributes because we've been socialized that way and because we have brains that adapt that way. And I'll go just a little further and then I want to answer your question. Uh, it, we relate differently in relationships. Uh, we look at harmony and peacemaking differently. These are the ways I looked at it in the book research-wise. We think differently. We look at creativity and, and innovation totally differently. Our language is different. It's like a lot about connection and cooperation and expression of emotions and things like that. It's different. And then we also have a different relationship with beauty and the aesthetic. And someone says, well, that, well, there's a wonderful gay designer and he's all over these beautiful buildings and he's got this, that's his feminine running. That's his feminine running. And then we also look at the intuition and we look at power. We do it differently. So Kurt, you asked me a little while ago when we were talking, you said, what's the best way for, say, a man to persuade or work with a woman in the way of influence in a company. Yeah, yeah. yeah what's well, the secret? I want to get, yeah, is there a secret right. there? Yeah, secret. <laughs> I was thinking about it because he asked me that up in my head, and I thought, well, what's that? So let's go back to the fact that the way I'm framing my answers is, are that we're both masculine and feminine, and uh, women lead in the feminine attributes. And so I'm going to address it from the women's side based on that theory. I'll tell you the truth. There's a couple, okay? The first one. And I know Kurt likes one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. He likes to hone it in. Gotta love the formula. <laughs> I know he does. So the first thing you have to do in order to really work to influence a woman is to listen to her. There's three things. You have to make sure she's listened to. Because if she feels listened to, there'll be a receptivity. If she feels spoken at, very often there'll be a shutdown. And there's a reason for that. It's because our brain is wired to work in a web, to think in a web, to think holistically. So if someone comes at you, boom, boom, it's just shut down. So don't do not do that. We That's can get a into great this. One. Yeah, I mean, let me ask you this. I've heard this before, that a lot of times men just want to find the solution versus women just want to be listened to sometimes. Is there truth to that then? I do think so, yeah. Um, and the reason is because of the, well, there's a couple theories on it in anthropology about the hunter instinct, and some of these theories go back to mention that women were early hunters too. But the hunter-gatherer concept 
um, in anthropology teaches us that we, you know, he's, he's out there. He's got a mission. He's going. He's on it, and he's gonna. He's gonna go, and he's gonna achieve that mission, and that's immediate food and protection. And so, some of this is hardwired. Yeah, it is. It mm-hmm. is hardwired, um, and some of it is not. Some of it is adapted, and some of it is, you know, cultural socialization. So, but but getting back to this question, you want number two? Yeah. You're going to listen, right? You're this is number one. Okay, get it down, listeners. Listening is number one, which, of yeah. course, everyone knows we think we better than we actually are. We're not talking about hearing. We're talking about truly listening with your ears, your eyes, and your heart. That's so important, and it does take some skill. So that's number one, listening. What's number two? Number two is ask questions because there's a whole way of seeing things where the connective tissue in the brain is 14% thicker between the right and left brain. So when we look at something, we look at something very holistically. And the way we gather information is by understanding, and questions are a way to reach understanding. So if you can ask questions that include her or open her opinion to be a part of the decision, you're going to engage her. Does that make sense, Kurt? Oh, yeah. I mean, we always harp about how influential people ask three times more questions, but you're talking about this question's helping them lead to discovery, find the solution, and I I would assume it also creates more empathy, doesn't it? It does. It does. And and she's also got a few little assets there that you might want to know about in her thought processes. She's definitely, and this is written all over the material, and what I was able to do is consolidate it, so I'm going to be brief with these, but mental flexibility is a feminine attribute. Long-term thinking, and I think that has to do with the givers of life, that they're very concerned about the long-term solution, the long-term benefit. And so if you think about, she's thinking about mental flexibility. She's got that in her mind, very flexible. Men. She can bring thoughts in. You might notice if you're speaking with a man and watching a man and a woman have a conversation, you might see a man say, well, get to the point. Because he travels very much in a linear way. Her thought process is in a circular way. So let's bring this back to the point. She's basically very mentally flexible in her thinking. And she'll think for the long term. So if you're engaging her in the decision, she's running all that. That's actually nature. She's running all of that. Community focus, hmm, putting it all together for the benefit of the whole. And so she wants to be a part of the solution. And the way she does that is through these mediums I just shared with you. And if you're actually including her in the process of the decision and the way you're talking is more open-ended, questions, you're going to get a better solution. I like that. That's fascinating. We love science as far as how the brain works and how we think differently. So that's number two. Mm-hmm. What is the magic number three? Okay, I'm going to ask you as a man if you've ever done this um, no, never. never. Right well, wait, there, wait, right your fabulous <laughs> wife. Here, listen. Did you ever try to fix your wife or fix oh. a situation for your wife? Oh, absolutely. That's why I mentioned the solution thing. So she comes up and wants to talk, and I said, well, just do this. I find the solution right away <laughs> okay. versus she just wants to talk it through. So I have made that mistake. Yes, I have. Okay, and she's talking it through in many ways because the circular – brain that she has is really taking in a lot of information and thoughts as you present something to her and she's thinking of the long term and the more community focus of the whole how's this going to affect the kids how's it going to affect her house she's thinking she's thinking and if you are actually going to the point where in your dialogue with her communication with her you're trying to fix something you're not partnering with her so the alternative to that is to bring her in as a partner and to not 
try to have the solution, but to engage in a solution together. And that relates to one of my favorite little quotes in the book, that women are very interested in power with as opposed to power over. So if they're part of the solution and the solution or fix isn't just presented to them, you're going to get a lot more mileage out of that level of influence. I like that. That's great information because... Again, the way we think is differently. It's interesting that you talked about we have a, a feminine side and a masculine side. So when my young daughter wants to paint my nails pink, should I let her? Does that enhance my feminine side <laughs> I was at all? waiting for one of your funny things. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, well, she's she's pulling up on your your feminine side and saying, I hey, guess. Dad, got one. I'm just concerned about a... going to a seminar with my fingernails painted pink. With uh, the, you'd probably paint. stand out and probably a lot more people. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> This is great information so far. Make sure you guys are taking some great notes here. This is cutting-edge information. Okay, well, we've got to end it there for now. That's half of the interview with Maureen Simon, and we're going to plug the rest into next week's show, so be sure to tune in for that. Kurt, I learned a ton. I can't wait to uh, to get the rest of this interview out to the listeners. What are your thoughts initially? Wasn't that incredible with the insights, the different view, and you know how we always harp on persuade people how they want to be persuaded, and there's differences between genders. We think differently, and it, and her insights were so incredible. You know, I hope you took some great notes here. As both men persuading women and women persuading men, stay tuned. You're going to get a lot more information that will help you out. Become a master persuader to persuade anybody at any time. That sounds great. So, everybody, stay tuned for next week's show. We'll get to the rest of the interview with Maureen. We appreciate you listening, and we will catch you on Episode 52 next week. See you on 52. 